It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Roaring. Each every week we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We get the football season, some gambling as well mixed in, and of course my favorite portion of the podcast or you can ask me a question on anything, go to the Twitterverse, hit up the hashtag, ask Skinny anything. You ask him, Rick compiles him, he asks him, I answer him, and it does not have to be on sports. We're going to try a new forum today with the video version of the podcast. Hopefully we will do this moving forward. That is our sincere hope. You can, of course, just use it as a listen if you want to. You certainly don't have to look at our ugly mugs, but we're going to try the video portion of it as well. And a reminder, it's brought to you in part by Blake, the attorney Mason. Rick, how are we this morning? Skinny, doing well other than the uh, air quality outside. <laughs> I will tell you, I went out yesterday and I had planned to do some yard work. I took this week um, off for vacation and was going to do some stuff in, in the yard and in, in a garden area we have, cleaning out some lava rocks. I walked out just to go downtown for a, uh, a retirement party for our general manager. I was out for maybe a minute, minute and a half. My eyes were watering so bad, I didn't even try it. It was brutal. It, it was crazy. I mean, we, we live here in Newport where you walk out on our front deck and you can see downtown Cincinnati normally very well. And uh, we walk outside yesterday. I look downtown. There's just nothing but white. You can't see a single building. I look over to my neighbor and he's like, yeah, man, it's you're not supposed to be out here. Dude, it was weird. I, I came down the cut in the hill at like 10, 15 in the morning. Um, and it literally looked like we were enshrouded in fog and it wasn't fog. It's the crazy smoke. And uh, I needed to go away. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, speaking of, Smoke those Reds are hot once again, Skinny. They they snapped their twelve game winning streak last week. They lost three in a row, and then they turned around and they've won their last two now on Tuesday and Wednesday. Leading up today's recording this on Thursday morning, they're now forty three and thirty eight and in first place in the NL Central, a half game ahead of the Brewers. Skinny, the big issue though we've we've been talking about it feels like for a couple of weeks now is the starting pitcher rota- starting pitching rotation the Reds have four starting pitchers currently Andrew Abbott Graham Ashcraft Brandon Williamson and Luke Weaver three of whom suck (laughs) that's that's one way to put it how realistic is it to believe they can stay at the top of this division with the pitching staff they have right now I think it's hard um you know the one thing that is a positive is in today's baseball your starter isn't going much more than five anyway I mean it was nice to get Abbott through six and it's the way they the game should look right. It's Abbott for six, and then it's the combination of uh, Sims, Farmer, and, and Diaz to close it. And that's the way it, it should look on a, on a normal night. There's just not a lot of normal nights. I think the good part is the bullpen's been really, really good. Um, and then that's something you can hang your hat on. But you, you're going to have to get at least more capable starting pitching, and you're going to have to go out and acquire that somehow. Um, again, without giving up assets. We talked a lot about that last week. I, I will say, Andrew Abbott showed you the stuff of what aces are made of um, on Tuesday night. When, when you're mired in what was a minor losing streak, just three games, wasn't a big deal. Um, I didn't get shaken up by it. Um, it obviously came on the heels of the 12-game winning streak. There's always a market correction to that. He stopped the streak, and that's what aces do. They stop streaks like that and get you turned around in the right direction. And I, I thought that was a big step forward for him and maybe this team to look and go, as much as we want to love Hunter Green and he's out until August and love Nick Lodolo – this might be the top of the rotation guy of top of the rotation guys. Well, he has a 1.21 ERA through his first five major league starts. Let me, let me throw this question out to you. How many opening day starts is Andrew Abbott going to get in his career? 
It's a good question because Hunter Green's so daggone electrifying, right? That if Would he's you- on this roster doing Hunter Green things, he's probably still the opening day starter moving forward. But to me, Andrew Abbott's proving himself to be the top of the rotation guy at the moment. The over, under one and a half. I'll go over. Yeah, that's probably fair. Because probably Hunter Green's going to miss one because of an injury somewhere along the way. And again, if you're going to tell me that as, as we evolve into this and Hunter Green's your number two or number three, I'm good with that. Oh, yeah, that'd be an incredible situation. Think about this, though. We go into this season, and the lineup prior to bringing up the young guys that we've talked about and all the fun they've brought to watching this team, the excitement for watching this team when the season first started was supposed to be the starting pitching rotation. It was supposed to be watching Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo and Graham Ashcraft and seeing if those guys could really bolster the top of your rotation, give you three studs there like we thought might be possible. How much fun would it be right now if you had Ellie and Matt McClain and Spencer Steer and all these guys doing what they're doing throughout the lineup to go with a young pitching rotation of Green, Lodolo, and Abbott in there now, and Ashcraft, uh, who cares who the fifth starter is at that point? I, I mean, I don't know how much better they would be. I think they would definitely be better if they were healthy, obviously. But just from a fun perspective, Skinny, we're being robbed of a lot of it right now with all these young pitchers being hurt. Yeah, and that's the thing. The injuries are, are for at least for two of them. I, I'm, I'm obviously Ashcraft's been a disappointment. I know he just came off the IL, but his ineffectiveness wasn't really injury related. It was, um, you know, right now he he certainly is getting teed up on his on his slider and and and, and really can't throw stuff for strikes. And when he does, it's right over the heart of the plate and it's getting hit around. I I don't know how to fix that other than they they're going to have to send him back down at some point and get him to work on a third pitch because right now it's just not working for him and. I, I know some of this was let these guys go through growing pains. There's growing pains and there's getting your brains beat in every night. And I know they need starting pitching desperately, but can you really keep, if, if you're looking at him development wise, can you really keep running him out there? It would seem to me the answer is no. Obviously they feel differently right now. I, I mentioned, or I asked you when we first started this topic, if how realistic you thought it was that the Reds could stay at the top of the division with the pitching staff being what it is. I think that's an important question right now. And we're going to get into the, the trade talk a little bit again here because it's really the biggest topic of conversation surrounding the Reds right now. But I think it's important to be realistic about the pitching staff and what this team is capable of with this pitching staff because adding one more pitcher might not be enough. No, it and might not be. I think be. we have to realize, like, people are talking about giving up things and giving away things so you can compete. We might need to have the conversation that adding a, a number three starting pitcher to your rotation might not be enough for this team with all the injuries they have the pitching rotation. But, but I think that the guy that you have to add is a controllable arm, too. It's not just the rent-a-pitcher. Yes. I, I think it's a controllable thing that the, the guy you're going to add has to be a part of 2024, 2025, and maybe beyond. So I think uh, – and that, to me, again, determines what you're going to do with your assets. I really wish Nick Senzel would get hot here. I really do. Uh, I wish he'd become a viable trade piece because I just don't know where his – future is with this team at the moment um he's he's an extra part uh, I, I again I think he can be a starting caliber player for some team somewhere in this league I don't think it's the Reds any longer on a consistent basis um but I wish he'd get hot to, to increase his market value but I do think Rick you do I think it is they're still viable a viable contender in this division and I'll tell you why it, it's it's the long term of what they've done since their start. You know, we, we always point to the seven and fifteen start. I went back and looked. I didn't even realize at one point that seven and fifteen start was actually morphed into a twenty-one and twenty-nine start. They're twenty-two and nine since with this starting pitching. So they've been able to overcome it not for a week, 
not for a few days, but for a full month. Now, again, there's a six-month season, so I fully understand that in the, in the sample size, we're talking one-sixth of a season sample size worth, but they have kind of overcome this a little bit. Well, they did uh, have Hunter Green for a good stretch of that, too, though. And, I mean, and you that, did, but you also had Ashcraft struggling. You didn't have right. Lodolo much. You didn't have Andrew Abbott for a little bit of this. He's been up for a good chunk of it here of late. Um, but I do think, yeah, I think whatever arm you add has to be a controllable arm that's not just a rent a pitcher for the rest of this year. I don't think that makes any sense. And I think they fully understand that. And that's where I, we talked last week. I don't want ownership to bully Nick Crawl into making a bad baseball decision because he deserves credit for rebuilding this franchise as it stands uh, from a prospect perspective, don't get bullied into making rash decisions. Yeah, no, to- totally agree. And speaking of that, Reds general manager Nick Kroll's efforts to acquire a starting pitcher from outside the organization are ongoing, but nothing promising is close, according to a report on Tuesday by Mark Sheldon. The quote from Nick Kroll was, not right now. You've got the posturing portion of things going on right now. We're trying to figure out where people are and what they want to do. I think there's some teams that, it's either are you in or out of it? Are they trying to wait as well? Crawl went on to say, right now the conversations are in places that we don't want to go. We're trying to figure out if there's other matches out there that are different players. So reading that, it sounds an awful lot like teams are asking for the CESs, right. probably the Noel V. Martes, uh, maybe some of the young guys that are already up on your major league team that we've talked about that you probably don't want to get rid of. And it's, I mean, what else is Nick Craw going to say? He's not going to tip his hand and be like, yeah, we're giving away all our young prospects. But it is kind of, I think, reassuring to hear uh, we're not even having conversations right now about the types of things that other teams are asking for. Yeah, no, I, and, and you know, that's kind of the cross-major league baseball. I think part of this is the wild card um, playoff scenarios have, have kept teams around longer thinking, all right, we're only a half game out of this or a game and a half. I mean, you got all five teams in the East that, that are 500 or better in the American League East. The Central, you have them all under 500, but you got three of them grouped closely together. You know, the West, you know, Houston's still got a really good team, but they're sitting in third place. The Angels aren't sure what they're going to do with Shohei, um, and you're not in the trade market for him, but that certainly makes the trade market wide open at that point. You know, the teams in the National League West, the, the Padres are, are still, to me, a powder keg because they still have a lot of ability on that roster that hasn't shown through. Um, you know, in the East, what do the Mets become with the way they're doing? So I think the, the market is just in a weird state right now where um, nobody is willing to tip their hand. Nobody is willing to pull anything. And I think it, it'll probably come down to trade deadline. It won't be in the next, it won't be before the all-star break for sure. Yeah. And I think that's what people are, are having trouble with. Cause they're like, the, the Reds need pitching help right now. And it's like, well, I hate to tell you this, but th- no one's moving pitchers right now. And if you are going to make a trade for a pitcher right now, you're going to overpay for that drastically. And that's the Reds cannot afford that in any way, shape, or form. They need I'm Craig Senzel for that Shane Bieber's. I tell you that right now. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, the Reds have to get the best deal they can possibly get. They need the team who is worried about not getting anything for a player with an expiring contract who's going to walk at the end of the year. That's like the Reds need that team that's a little bit desperate, that thought they were going to get a better offer for a a guy than than they did, and the Reds can maybe swoop in last minute and give you some cash and a a low-level prospect or a a guy on the major league team like a Senzel, like we're talking about, or something like that. So um, is that realistic to think they're going to get something of value doing that? I I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not, but I still think it should be the plan of attack. Yeah, I, I do, Rick. I, I think it's realistic, I, but I think it will be last second. And um, some team is going to be some team is going to be willing to give up a starter for a Senzel, somebody else, somebody else combination, whatever that may be. 
um, maybe even Jose Barrero. I don't know if you know, they've, they've put Jose Barrero back at shortstop in AAA, maybe to showcase him that, hey, listen, we got no spot on this, for this kid on our roster because of what we got, but he's still a young kid who can at least pick it. Um, and maybe he hits in Louisville and that intrigues a team. And I think that you need some luck here too. You need a few guys who are tradable pieces to start swinging the bat, whether it's at AAA or on the big league roster to, to showcase them and, and try to get some value for them. Obviously, trade talk has kind of taken over the city, local sports talk, uh, other media outlets and, and social media. I did see something this week, though, where it feels like a lot of people are kind of setting up a straw man argument on the other side of this. Whereas we've kind of been talking about the Reds need to be really careful about making deals, going out, making trades, trying to improve just because of the situation that they're in and, and what they're trying to accomplish, not just this year, but going forward for the next few years. And I hear some people saying things like, oh, you know, the Reds fans forever have wanted a team to compete, compete for the playoffs. Now they've got a chance and you don't want them to improve. Well, that's not what anyone's saying. No one is saying the Reds shouldn't try to improve the pitching rotation simply for the sake of not wanting to improve or not understanding you might have to give something away to improve at some point. Some of us are just living in reality that when it comes to what the Reds can actually acquire right now and how much it would cost them, you have to be prudent about these things and potentially it might involve standing pat and kind of waiting for your turn to come around. It might not be right now. And, and think to me, that's okay. Because like I said, I think, I think everybody thinking the frontline starter, you're going to get them for a Nixon. No, your Nixon's going to be packed with somebody for a mid-level, lower level guy. The, the frontline arena pitcher guy is going to command Christian Encarnacion strand and, and or Noel V. Marte. That's what it's going to command. And I'm not willing to give up either one of those guys at this point where I can look and go, I got two future 30 home run dudes sitting in the minors, maybe even a 40 home run guy in Encarnacion Strand. I'm not giving up 10 years of that productivity for, for three months of happiness. That's not what this is about. This is about sustaining something, not something short-term. This was never about something short-term. It's great if they can somehow make the playoffs, if they're able to swing the deal to add that pitcher um, that, that's, again, controllable, not just this year, but in the next couple of years is, in a, is a part of your team. But, no, I, I think anybody doing that is just – it's it's foolish. Don't, don't give me that nonsense. You ask for a rebuild. The rebuild is 9,000 miles ahead of schedule. Yeah. Enjoy it and just cross your fingers that it works itself out at this point. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and again, that that doesn't mean anyone is saying don't go out and try to improve. Don't go out and try to get a, a starting pitcher on the cheap or for what you're willing to give away. We're just saying understand that there are some realities in play here and the Reds might not be positioned best because of the way they approached last offseason and because of the fact that they are in the middle of a rebuild right now. You don't want to throw that whole thing out just because you're a little bit ahead of schedule. And um you know, Skinny, the, the other guy that's come up a lot in all these trade talks, especially this week, and, and I'll admit, I, I've been watching some of the Chatterbox sports stuff with Tom Brenneman and all of his cast of characters, and they've been talking a lot about Jonathan India. Do you feel that the Reds have a Jonathan India problem? Basically, the way this has been posed is that the Reds have to move Jonathan India. He's dragging them down with his defense, and they, he's taking up spots and keeping some of the younger guys like a CES or like a Noel V. Marte down in the minor leagues. Do you see that as being the case? Is Jonathan India an issue for this Reds team? I, I don't think so. I do think he is a movable piece at the end of this season, perhaps. I, I think it's interesting that Marte 
Marte's come up to Louisville and is going to play, as I mentioned, Barrero's going to play short. Marte's going to play third. And it, and it got me to, to talking with a friend of mine. And I, I said, you know, maybe the long-term plan is Marte's at third, move Ellie back to short and McLean at second, and maybe even move India to the outfield in the offseason. Let's see what that looks like. You're not going to do that this year right now. You, you, you don't have the time to fool with that, but you could do that in the offseason. And whether you like it or not, Jonathan Indy is an extremely productive at bat or bat in the middle of the lineup A. And I know he's slumping at the moment, but for the most part, he's been really productive in what he's done. And I hate to do this. His leadership still means something to these guys. You're not going to rip that out right now. No. And I don't see offseason. We can examine all of those things. But as of right now, no, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm just not. If they do it, fine. They can make that decision. But if it's me, I'm not. I'm not doing Not this year. We can revisit that in the offseason. And again, I think we will revisit a position change with Jonathan in the offseason, but not right now. Yeah, I, the whole Jonathan India is an issue for this team thing doesn't make well, any sense is. to me. Yeah, that's yes. a, he's he's on track to be the team's first 2020 guy since Brandon right. Phillips, and you can't win with that guy. You can't possibly have him playing second base for you. That now is he bad defensively? Yes, he's one of I the worst. Think he's, I, know, I know what the numbers suggest. I don't think he's bad. I think he's just a very average. He's not going to make a ton of plays for you, but he also doesn't botch a bunch of routine things either. Well, I mean, but he is. Highest in airs too. At I know. I, I, in the league. So I mean, I, he is he is probably as bad as it gets defensively at second base in the league. Now, does that mean it's so bad that you can't win with him, especially with what he does on offense? Absolutely well, not. He's been one I, of their better players like the last few years. So I don't. Yeah, if, if if it's a if it's a problem for the short term now. Um, if you want to give me an infield at least in the short term, and again, I want to see him get showcased a little bit of Sinzel at third, Elliot short, um, and. Uh, and McLean at second with India getting more DH reps. Um, no offense to Joey Votto. It was a fun start, but it started to slip here a little bit. And I don't, again, I don't know how sustainable that is. That doesn't mean Joey doesn't get at bats against some righties. Um, but, you know, maybe against a bunch of tougher lefties, he doesn't start. I mean, we saw him get pinch hit for on Sunday with Jonathan India um, against a, a lefty. And I think some of that's the the tip of the cap to, we just don't know if you can hit quality lefties anymore, man. And that's that's fine. So maybe more bats for India as a DH, and then you are better defensively. And we get a chance to see if Senzel gets six starts a week, what that looks like. And it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. And you can give up on that plan pretty quickly. Hell, then move Senzel Sear back to third and move Votto to first if you need to. He can still play a little bit of first base. So you still have some options with what to do with India's bat. And I think I'd find that solution more than I'd find the whole get rid of Jonathan India. And he's a problem. He's not a problem. Um, I, I think his leadership is really vital in this team. Yeah, Jonathan India is not going to be the reason the Reds don't do something this year in the postseason. You can win with Jonathan India. He's been a big part of them getting on this run and getting to first place in the NL Central. Like it, Again, he, he's about to hit 20 home runs and drive in 80 runs at second base. In addition to stealing, well, and, the, know, and those, he's got 10 stolen bases already, too. So. Yeah, and those, those RBI well, numbers, I think, honestly, will go up um, – because he hit a chunk of the first half of the season in the leadoff spot. He's been hitting third ever since, you know, mid-May. And with the way Friedel and McLean get on base, I, I honestly think he's got a chance to finish in the 90 RBI scenario. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, when you look at his offensive numbers, he's in like top handful, three, four, five in most categories for second baseman. I, it's, it's just, I don't really understand the the concern about Jonathan. Nene. Now, long-term, if we're talking about looking into next year, he's under control for three more years. Yeah, I'm going to find another thing. position. I'm going to see if he can play left field. I'm, well, I'm going to well, try that first. Try that, but also there's nothing saying you can't trade Jonathan India. I'm not saying you can't get rid of him, whether it be this year or this offseason or next year, but why not 
one, wait to see if you've got a, a great deal for him this year, if you're going to get rid of him this year. Otherwise, I wouldn't. Yeah, Two, no. Yeah. See if these young guys that you're so certain are going to be great are actually that good at the major league level. These young guys that are still down the minor leagues, CS, let's wait until he proves at the major league level before you decide, yeah, we got to get rid of the Jonathan India right. to make room in the infield. As you just pointed out, you can play Jonathan India at the designated hitter spot for a handful of games, especially this year where you don't have much of a better option for designated hitter. I yeah, think it's probably not ideal long-term there, but this no, year right. he's fine there. No, no I, I would much rather see Jonathan India get the right-handed DH at bats than, than Tyler Stevenson. Much yeah. rather have that. Uh, totally agree. Totally agree. And, and I think that's where um, the idea that you need to trade Jonathan India is misguided. I, I think at worst case scenario, you put him in the DH role a lot more often and you bring up one of those young guys to, to get them into the, the infield rotation. But uh, I, I don't, if, if a great deal comes across your desk, fine. Aside from that, I don't think it's a, it's a situation you have to worry about this season. Yeah, I think your long-term up the middle is certainly De La Cruz at short, McLean at second. I think that's almost etched in stone at this point moving forward. I, I would agree with that, and I'm thrilled about that. That's, yeah, you know, I, I'm like Both of those guys are awesome, and I'm totally fine with moving India to a new spot or eventually getting rid of them. All right, Skinny, let's switch some gears here to college athletics. This Saturday, July 1st, Cincinnati will officially join the Big 12 Conference after what feels like, God, two or three years of talking about it. The Bearcats spent the last 10 years in the American Athletic Conference. That came after eight years in the Big East. So I'll ask you this, Skinny. Do you think Cincinnati is set up to have more success in football or basketball as the Bearcats enter the Big 12? Can you imagine that question like eight or nine years ago? The, the answer would have been so simple, right? Basketball. It would have been yeah. cut and dried, no doubt about they're, they're more positioned in basketball. But to me, it is, it's it's football for a couple of reasons. Number one, Texas and Oklahoma are out of the Big 12 now in football. Um, and so what are you left from a powerhouse perspective, right? Um, Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. I mean, they've had some nice runs, Baylor, but they're not Texas and Oklahoma consistently great. And so I'll, I'll go football um, because they've shown they can play on a national stage in football. They're coming in from the, even the teams coming from the, from the American athletic conference with them. You've owned that league the last handful of years. So to me, it's clearly football. I, I still hate to do it. I know we've gotten bashed a little bit on Twitter from UC fans and I understand it. You're rooting for your team and I'm fully down with that. I, I just, I think they're in an uphill battle in basketball at the, at the moment. I hope that changes moving forward. Um, the transfer portal has certainly done some great things for, for teams where one year it looks bleak and the next year it doesn't, um, you know, would have been, I guess, kind of nice if UC could have gotten Kier Creason when he went back in the portal. I know that was probably a long shot, but they were mentioned with him. It certainly would have helped, but he opted to stay at West Virginia. But I, honestly, I, I do think it's football. I would agree with that. Well, that's, what, that's what you're making this move for anyway. Yeah, all the football money, all the TV money, definitely. But I would agree that it's football, and most of it has to do with how ridiculously difficult the basketball side of things is going yes. to be. Whether UC is really good or not, it's going to be a struggle in basketball. Think about this. TCU was 25th overall in Ken Palm last year. We're talking basketball right now. TCU was 25th overall in Ken Palm last year. They ended up with a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament, lost to Gonzaga in that really fun game. It was like 83-81 or 84-81, something like that. They were 9-9 nine and nine in Big 12 play and tied for fifth. Skinny, it's a top 25 team in the country by the metrics, according to Ken Palm. They went 500 in conference play. They finished tied for fifth in the conference. West Virginia 
was 19th overall in Ken Palm, right above TCU, 19th overall in Ken Palm. They ended up as a nine seed in the tournament because they went seven and 11 in Big 12 play. Do you remember Texas Tech was in the conversation as late as mid-February of getting into the tournament? And obviously didn't, but they were in the conversation for a bit. And that was after they had started off the conference play with like, what, a nine-game losing streak? Or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Streak or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, West Virginia finished eighth in the conference. And then, I mean, they did make it in as a nine seed as the eighth team in the Big 12. But again, they had a losing ref- record and finished eighth. Point being, you can be really good. UC can make a jump to they were somewhere in like, what, 40th or 50th last year in Ken Palm probably? Uh, yeah, something, I was going to say in the 50s somewhere, but yes. Yeah, th- they can get better, a, a decent amount better, move up to like 30, 20 spots better. And guess what? They still might not be in the top 10 in the Big 12 in basketball. That, it's like, it's just an insane conference. So a lot of it has to do with just how good the Big 12 is from a basketball perspective. It's clearly heads and shoulders above the next best conference, which is you know, probably the Big Ten. Um, and then in football, last year you had, this is with Texas and Oklahoma still being in, you had five teams with losing records in that conference. Three or four teams now are worse than Kansas that are in the Big 12. Well, and I was going to say, Lance Leipold's done such a marvelous job at Kansas, but no offense, Kansas football, that's not sustainable. We've seen a couple of pockets <laughs> of here and there, and it falls off quickly. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to go backwards again at some point because Lance Leipold's going to get hired by somebody at some point. So, yeah, I, I think clearly football. I don't even think it's debatable, to be honest with you. Yeah, how I guess the concern, I think, from – or I guess the counter-argument to this would be basketball has Wes Miller – and football has Scott Satterfield. I think if you ask most UC fans, and granted, it's new to them, so maybe some of them are more excited about Scott Satterfield than I'm realizing. But I think I don't know about that. more UC fans seem happy about Wes Miller, excited about Wes yes, Miller going forward than they do about Scott Satterfield. How much do you think that plays into? It? Are you are you and, a and lot that, more comfortable with Wes than you are Scott Satterfield? Yeah, and that's a fair point too. And 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 um, I'm just talking program wise position. And it may be honestly, you're moving on from Scott Satterfield in three years. And the program is still situated to win with the right coach. Or maybe he pulls a rabbit out of his hat coaching-wise. He, he didn't prove much at Louisville for sure. But I still think that, again, this question, I still think they're better positioned in football than basketball because of the recent success. And they've done it on a national stage. It's been a, it's been a minute since basketball has been really relevant on the national scene. That's and then true. you're going to ask to take a step up in conference and suddenly get to that relevancy level? That's a big step up. Um, again, I know arguing wise moving forward, hey, you're going to be able to recruit to the Big 12. That's all well and good. So are the other Big 12 teams going to be able to recruit to the Big 12 in basketball? I mean, it's it's just it's it's really really difficult league. Yeah, it's just going to be tough, and that's the thing. Like I expect UC to be better, and, and I think they'll continue to to rise as a program. The problem is the jump now. It's like you had to get a little bit better to be second best in the AAC, right? Houston was probably still going to be the top yeah. dog in the AAC yeah. if they stayed there. Um, now they're coming to the Big 12 as well. But like that's that was the case in the AAC. You had a little bit to go to get up to like second best in the conference. The Big 12, you can get a, a lot better and still not sniff the top half of the conference. Right. Like that's just, that's a crazy statement yeah. to make, but it's reality. Yeah, but I would say the counter argument too is, but if you also finish seventh or eighth in the league with seven or eight or nine league wins, you're far better position to make the NCAA tournament than if you finish third in the AAC. 100%. That's the big thing, right? I mean, you can finish under 500 in conference play as West Virginia showed last year and still be in the tournament and not even like the last team in the tournament. So you do have so much more wiggle room. And that's one thing I'll be curious to see how they start scheduling. Cause like last year, 
they, they talked about they didn't really schedule as difficult because they weren't sure how their schedule was going to set up in the Big 12. This year, it'll be interesting to see how, how much better that non-conference schedule is. We haven't seen I – I think they're still missing like five or six games from the non-conference slate that haven't been revealed yet. So uh, it might be more difficult than it was last year. But after that, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of where they slot in with that schedule because it's been pretty weak the, the last couple of years. Moving into the Big 12 – you don't need to make your non-conference very difficult because right, the conference right. slate is already going to be so tough. Uh, I'm just curious, like, do they start playing uh, in, in bigger MTE events? Do they start a home-and-home home series to kind of go with some of this to, to complement it? I, I'm not exactly sure, but I would think they will They will add at least one more well, high-major game along the way than they've been playing recently. I don't know who the Big 12 has their challenge with because the SEC now has the challenge with the uh, the ACC that's changed from the SEC Big 12. But I'm going to guess Big 12 that. Big East. Big East, that's right. You're right. Yeah, I'm sorry. So you'll, you've got that out of the mix. Plus the Xavier rivalry game is, is always going to be a good game for both of those teams from a non-conference perspective. So I don't know if you even have to add a whole lot. You'll have to add at least one more, but you don't have to add a ton more to that. Yeah, for them, unfortunately, they just got they got left out of the Big East challenge this right. year. So they're not playing one of those games. And it, do, it looks like they're doing their own – MTE thing where they're going to host a couple of teams, uh, I assume for NIL money. So they are missing out a couple of those games, but going forward, I think that will correct itself and you will play in like big 12 challenges or bigger MTE events. And like you said, I mean, most of, most of these high major schools now that are in these big time conferences, they don't even have to schedule high major home and home games because you get a couple of them with an MTE and a big East big 12 challenge or something like that. And then, you have such a difficult conference slate that your strength of schedule is going to be more than enough. So that that is the good news for UC is you won't have to worry nearly as much about how did we schedule this year? Is our strength of schedule tough enough to make yeah. the tournament or get a good yeah. seed? Anything else to add on UC in the Big 12 scheme? No, I, I know it's going to be an exciting time for, for, for everybody. I mean, it's, it, it's weird that you know it starts on July 1st where there's no events um, yeah. from, from a game perspective to talk about. But it, you hit the ground running. Uh, you know, Obviously, the, they've got the Cincy Reigns Collectives coming out with the, the beer on Friday, maybe it is, or maybe it is even on Saturday. I know Skyline's doing a promotion for, for them on, on Saturday as well, going into the Big 12. Um, and then you look up, and July 1st, when they do kick in, you go all of a sudden – Ooh, two months and the football season starts. So uh, it is an exciting time for sure. Um, but but there, it's it's uncharted waters uh, w- without question, be- just because of how difficult that league is, especially in basketball. And listen, I don't want to downplay the football side of it. It's just not quite as difficult. It's still a good league, a very I good mean, league. But what uh, TCU made the national championship right, game last correct, year in football. Correct. So yeah, they've they've had some success there too. It's just a little more top heavy in the Big Twelve with football. You don't have near the depth like you do in basketball. All right, let's switch gears here to some Kentucky talk. I know we'll, we'll be brief about this. I realize we keep talking about Kentucky, but there's keeps being news, news about Kentucky. I know they've they've been in the news cycle here the last month. Uh, a, a big week for John Calipari and the Cats. First on Monday, they land a commitment for the upcoming season. West Virginia transfer Trey Mitchell, the six foot nine forward, averaged just under twelve points and five and a half rebounds per game while shooting thirty six percent from three point range last year. Then on Wednesday. They landed a commitment from the number 44 prospect in the class of 2024. Note that. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second. That's 6'11 center Sompto Cyril. Now, again, he is in the class of 2024, meaning he wouldn't be joining UK's roster until the 2024-25 season. But there's been a lot of speculation, Skinny, about him potentially enrolling early 
right. for this upcoming season, giving UK a- another body. And he's again, he's like 6'11", 240 pounds or something. They're calling him Baby Shaq. This is a physical specimen we're talking about, a guy who dunks everything hard, protects the rim at a really high level and rebounds. So this is the type of guy that you could see Cal plugging and playing right away. I don't think he needs a lot of development time to do exactly what Cal likes his freshman to be able to do on the defensive end. Now, according to some of the reports that came out when he committed on Wednesday, he is going to stay in the 2024 class, at least for now. Are are you buying that, or do you think this guy's going to end up playing this year for UK? I I never know when it comes to Kentucky commits what the truth is. Nobody ever does, right? So, yeah, I I don't know where that stands. I mean, listen, it'd be a nice extra body for sure. At the same time, Rick, I'm not sure it's critical for him now to be on this roster after Antonio Reeves came back, after Trey Mitchell has is, is, is now announced that transfer. I think those two additions have really been vital for Kentucky. It's it's huge. I mean, Skinny, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Kentucky being, what, two weeks away, th- three weeks away at the time from their trip to Canada, where they're going to play these summer games and not having enough players on their roster to run five-on-five five in practice. Now, all of a sudden, you got, what, 11 guys, 11 real scholarship players, and I think Brennan Canada is also on scholarship He now. is, yes, he is. Um, but 11 real players, and I would say, I mean, I you feel pretty good about that roster. Like, Trey Mitchell is a, a nice piece. He's a stretch four. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a perfect stretch four, and Reeves gives you a shooter, and they both have been through this before. That's the other part. Yeah, experience. you got yeah. two veteran guys who've been through this before um, and have been productive, maybe not consistently productive in the case of Antonio Reeves, but certainly productive at times. I, I think those are both big ads to this roster. Do I think it's a national championship team? That's still a big ass with freshmen being the centerpiece of it. But is it at least now a capable team that should be able to have a, a fun season for Kentucky fans and have you looking forward to March again? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was definitely the thought I had. And as much as there was hand-wringing and rightfully so and people yes. were questioning Cal, and I still don't know that this team is going to come together perfectly. I think if this team struggles and it doesn't live up to the hype, people are still going to have – real concerns about John Calipari and we're still going to be talking about all the things we were talking about two or three weeks ago in terms of Cal's run coming to an end in Lexington and all of that but this just it went from feeling a bit chaotic and okay this UK season has potential for disaster to uh, you feel pretty good about it now even the the, the floor of this season has been raised drastically for Kentucky over the last two weeks and listen, you got a little lucky with what happened with Hugs because it forced some of his guys to look at their options, and Trey Mitchell's one of those guys. Kirk Reese obviously decided to stay. Trey Mitchell said, no, I'm not. But if Hugs is still there, Trey Mitchell's still there. <laughs> I, uh, John Calipari is going to be making a sizable donation to Anheuser-Busch coming up here, or what, yeah. or maybe Woodford well, Reserve. Wood, Wood, yeah, Woodford Reserve, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, there are all those cans in, in the car, That's so it's, yeah, I thought maybe Huggins went off menu. He's a can collector, as you know. That's why he's recycling, of course. Recycling, yes. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't it be what would be awesome is if he like really committed to that bit going forward. <laughs> it would be. If, like we just saw instead of coming back to like worry about coaching or any of the stuff he's done, um doing basketball uh, talks for, for coaching camps or anything like that, he really just went full into starting recycling drives and like being out in the community collecting cans. I really well, think you should lean into that. Bob Huggins here for waste management. You know, in my spare time, I like to walk along the roadside and just pick up cans for the good of this earth. I think you should too. 
Can you imagine Huggy Bear with his maternity pull windsuit pullover that he always has on, along with one of those uh, glow in the dark vests. green vests? Yes, play yeah, the chain gang. Be great. <laughs> All right, let's get into some ask skinny anything. Let's do it. All right. First one is, what is the best, most intimidating baseball walkout music you can think of? My pick is God's Gonna Cut You Down by Johnny Cash. Uh, I still love, I, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a Padres fan. Don't ask me why. I think it's because my, do, my dad was a Dodgers fan and growing up I had to be opposite and I love me some, some late 70s Dave Winfield Padres, even though they sucked into the Tony Gwynn era uh, of the Padres. So I'm a Padres fan. I love Trevor Hoffman walking out to Hell's Bells. I always thought that was that was spot on, man. The way it was played out, he took that long stroll in because obviously it's a long lead up to Hell's Bells. That one was always the best for me. Can I just say, you deciding your favorite baseball franchise by essentially being a pain in the ass and trolling your dad yep. is incredible. I mean, that is such a Richard Skinner thing. I can't think of yep. anything more on brand than – and you're you wondering because figuring out who your favorite team is by trolling your family. Yeah, and, and listen, this is coming from somebody that grew up in this area, and you're wondering how did my my dad was grew up in Brooklyn, so he actually saw the Brooklyn Dodgers before they moved to Los Angeles, and that was ingrained in his blood as a Dodger fan. And the contrarian in me as a child, I don't know why, but I just had to not be a Reds fan. I really appreciated what they did. I went to 40 or 50 games a year in the big red machine era, but I had to be a contrarian and become a Padres fan. <laughs> so on brand. It's unbelievable. It I <laughs> going against your dad, going against the rest of the city. You're just yep. trolling everybody as yep. an eight year old or whatever you. Yep. Uh, all right. The obligatory question this time of year. Have you ever seen a ghost wearing summertime short pants? Uh, that's from Ryan. Appreciate you hitting on two of our uh, callback references there. Uh, Skinny, have you busted out the summertime short pants yet? Do you want me to stand up? <laughs> I'd rather you not, honestly. Okay. I don't know uh, yeah, what's I, underneath I, there. Uh, yes, the summertime episode. Dude, the summertime short pants have been out since. Listen, when the temperature goes over 60 degrees, that's usually the line. And then I usually wait in the fall for it to dip below like 50. I'll have the summertime short pants on because you can still wear a pullover with them and feel quite comfortable. Um, so, yeah, they've been they've been in the, the wardrobe since probably, hell, maybe even – Late March, although we really didn't get much of a warm up in March and April, but they've been out for a while. So trust me, I've got I've got ten pairs in the rotation. I'm down to my obligatory two, so it's going to be laundry day today for me, Rick. I got to get those summertime short pants all cleaned up. And then after you dry them, what will you do? See, I don't hang them. Drape. I don't. I don't hang them. I I, I I should. Nope. But then you know they do if they get wrinkly, which is fine for me. You know we have, I have a steamer and so i'll steam the wrinkles out i got no problem doing that i'd rather do that than hang up short pants we drape we drape you pull them out and you just we drape. drape them over something that's what we do absolutely. uh absolutely what, what is skinny's go-to place for furniture shopping i have no idea is this an inside joke that i don't know about i, I don't know i'm i'm not a furniture shopper um trying to think the last piece of furniture that i was a part of purchasing it's been a while i I, I, yeah, I, I can't answer that. So this, last, so this wasn't like a reference that I was missing. Not that I know of. Okay. Yeah, not that I know of. I'm yeah, I'm gonna say, I don't, I don't have a go-to place. I, I, I think I would look for the best deal, be it Ashley Furniture, Furniture Fair. I don't, I don't know if I'm an IKEA guy at heart. In fact, I've never stepped foot in IKEA. Have you? I have not either. I hear the meatballs okay. are great, but yeah, I've heard that for a long time. I, I don't know if I'm going to buy furniture where the meatballs are great. I'd, Although I'm also going to Bucky's to get instead of getting gas, I'm going to Bucky's to get some barbecue. So I don't know. I'm out on Bucky's. I'm not going to get into that again because Lance McAllister got mad at me last time I did, but I'm out on Bucky's. Uh, rank the sandwich franchises: Subway, Jimmy John's, Jersey Mike's, 
Witch Witch, Quiznos, and Potbelly. They didn't even include your favorite, Penn Station. Yeah, I was going to say Penn Station is still at the top of that list. So Potbelly, I don't go to. I don't know why. It just it just Same. isn't in the rotation. Quiznos is back in the mall days. Does anybody, if you don't go to the mall, go to Quiznos? That's the only place I can think of is Florence Mall that you can get Correct. Quiznos. Correct. What was the other? What was the other one that, that sounded off the beaten path to me? Which which I've never had either. I've, what is what? Is, where is that? There is one on Mall Road, I believe, where there was. I don't. There's, I've never been everything there. on Mall Road for goodness sake. That's true. I, so based on the other rankings, actually Subway would be at the bottom of all of them. Um, I think Subway gets unfairly hated on. Even the three that I haven't gone to, that would be below those. I would go Jimmy John's two, Jersey Mike's one. Agreed. Yeah, those are are the top two on this list for sure. And I would agree that Jersey Mike's is the best. Yeah, but but Penn Station's above all of them. Yes, without question. And that's probably why they didn't put on the list because it would have been too easy. Fair enough. Uh, In honor of Taylor Swift in Cincy, is Skinny a Swifty? And what is his favorite Taylor Swift song? Um, the only one I know is Bad Blood, just because it's just it it, it rings in my head. I am not a Swifty. Uh, my daughter and her husband are going to the Friday night show. I've 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 made fun of her for that. I'm like, you're, it, honestly, I think the experience is going to be more miserable for people than they realize. I really do because of the parking, the traffic, the heat, the smog. Just all of it. Maybe I'm going to be wrong. I mean, I was watching our newscast this morning, and everybody got the lines for the for the stupid apparel truck that are there. And good for you guys. I, I want no part of that. None. Zero. Zilch. None. Not a no. Thank you whatsoever. I'm surprised. I thought you would have uh, told the wife you guys were headed to the banks on Friday night. Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to the FC game on Saturday. So I'm, are you I'm really? Up, I'm a little up from that. Yes, I am. Look at you. How about that? Well, so you you're going to be right down in the mix of all this crap that you say you want to avoid. Actually. Well, I'm having, I'm I'm, I'm going to get dropped off is, is the key, and then I'm going to get picked up. So, I hate to tell you, Chief, there's still traffic along the way, even if someone else is driving. It's north of that. It's a little bit north of that. Oh, we'll see how north it is when you get there. Yep. Uh, all right, we'll wrap it up with this from our guy Dan. I don't know. I sent this over to you. I'm not sure if you got a chance to I, review it or not. I did. I okay. did. All right, good. He says, uh, ask any anything. This requires you to send it to him in advance because he wants a thoroughly considered response. He said, rank these guys from highest to relative lowest Q rating in the 513 area code. The options are Ellie De La Cruz at midnight on Friday after hitting for the cycle in the Reds' 12th straight win. Joe Burrow the day after the Bengals beat the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl. Bob Huggins in 1992, the day after they beat Memphis State to go to the Final Four with Nick Van Exel and Corey Blunt, or Pete Rose on his worst day? <laughs> well, from a Q rating perspective, because Q rating is supposed to be a positive, right? I, I think from a Q rating perspective, Hugs or rather uh, Pete Rose would be at the bottom of that, correct? Uh, yeah, I guess so. The appeal of... I, I don't know. I, I guess he'd be at the bottom. I don't know. I mean, that's the whole problem with Pete Rose in this town, right? That's the whole yes. point of this. Well, but I, I do think there were a lot of Pete supporters over the years that have kind of waned in that regard of him finally admitting what we all believed all along to some of the other creepiness that's come out about him. That yeah. he still. I mean, listen, I think the last time they sold out a, a, a games on back-to-back days before this past weekend was the Pete Rose uh, uh Jersey retirement ceremony a few years ago. So he still has appeal. There's no question oh, yeah. about that. But on his worst day, though, his worst day, I guess, would be the story of the 15 year old girl he knocked up, right? Or however old she was. 
I, I would hope that was the worst day. I, I don't know if it is or not for people. But, but regardless, in this city, I still think the issue is there are a lot of people that would still vote for him right now if he ran for yeah. any type of political office. Well, for me, clearly Joe Burrow's number one after I mean there's that, that's not even debatable, right? Yes. I mean Yes. Joe Joe Burrow honestly could have gone out and, and gone on some insane killing spree at that point and people still would have loved him. Yes, that that it's that's the Trump line. I could shoot someone right in the in the streets right now, and people yes. would still love me. You and he's right. Me. Joe yeah. Burrow's right about that. I know there's recency bias with number two, but man, that Ellie thing was really cool. I mean, that that night was one of the best in this town in a long, long, long time. Well, you know, Burrow obviously was there, but but in this town, Burrow's didn't occur in this town. It occurred out of town. But that that was that was a cool that was a cool thing. That was awesome. And he's just, he. We've talked about this already, but he has such a cool factor he to does. him that he it's does. like impossible not to enjoy watching him when he's having success. No it's like, question. Damn, no I'm question. glad that guy plays for our team. I'll go hugs three, and I know it's the five one three area code, but it's still a segmented basketball audience in the five one three. Um, so <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, again, it was a huge thing. Um, came out of the blue. Uh, new coach. You see, was coming out of kind of a dark decade of the of the eighties, uh, the Tony Yates era. Um, so that was a big, big deal. Um, and it looked like the start of great things. And it was to some degree. They obviously never replicated uh, that, unfortunately. Some of it due to unfortunate circumstances and whatnot. But, yeah, Bob Huggins in 92 would be third on that list. But only because, again, you have a segmented audience. I, I The LA Daily Cruise is just spectacular. Joe Burrow's on a different strategy. Joe Burrow's number one on a different strategy. I love the Pete Rose being thrown in there. <laughs> But if he did not Pete on his best day, I might have had to put him up there. But Pete on his worst day, eh, I don't, it's got to be number four. All right, so let's go Pete after forty-one ninety-two. Is he number one? Clearly, no. I well, no. I still, still go Joe Burrow. Really, just the buzz of that and what that did for this this city in this area. Because again, that kind of came out of the blue. Pete's was more of it's coming, it's coming. Um, in fact, I remember the the the, the first night they were back. Uh, or actually about the Sunday in Chicago when he had a chance to break it in Chicago and didn't, um, I made sure to buy tickets for the, for the first couple of games back just in case. So you knew it was coming. It was just a matter of, are you going to be there on the right night for it to come? When is it going to happen? So to me, I, I think the whole Bengals experience just kept building and building and building to, Oh my God, they're going to the Super Bowl with this guy in his second year. And Oh God, the world is our oyster. And it still is for Bengals fans. So that's still, I know it's recency bias probably, but I'd still go that number one over, over Pete from a Q rating perspective. Yeah, that's a good point. Especially because those milestones oftentimes are like kind of dragged out things. Yes. Like you said that, you yeah. know, are coming. You're almost not to say tired of them by the time they get here, but kind of, it, it definitely loses some of the effect. So I'll give you a quick story on that Pete in Chicago thing, Rick. It's kind of Please funny do. to me. I was, Sports producing at Channel 9. It was my first job out of college, and none of the sports anchors were around. And Pete came to bat, and they're like, if he gets the hit, you're going to have to go on air, and we're going to have to break in live. And I'm like, well, here comes my big break. Yeah. Damn you, Pete Rose. You didn't give it to me. <laughs> That's like, well, we were just talking about that not too long ago where uh, you had a, a really funny situation with Dan Horde, too, broadcasting where you were about to call a Bengal or a, was it Bengals Raiders game? Yeah, Bengals Raiders game Bengals not, Raiders. not too long ago yeah. for him, right? Yep. Can you can you tell that story yep. because that was that was great? Yeah, so, so Dan had a unfortunately for him he 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 knew he was double booked because he had a UC game on a Saturday and he wasn't quite sure he could get to Oakland in time. If there was only one flight issue, he wasn't going to make it, and he knew I was going to be out there covering the game. And about two weeks before, he said, "Hey, 
if, if I can't make it, could you do the game? And I said, well, I got to clear it through my bosses and, and cause I've got my job responsibility, but sure. I'll ask. And he said, I'll pay you for it. I said, no, no, no. I said, I, I'll, I, it, 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 it's a, it's a chance to, to do something really cool. I said, I'll ask. They said I could do it. And there I was in the press box preparing by God, if he doesn't come along and slap a bill on my thing, walk away. And I said, damn you, Dan Horton. And I looked, I go, I don't want this. He goes, you, yeah, you earned that. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Maybe I did. So, but yeah, it, 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 I, I was, th- I was at least glad to be thought of as a backup plan at that point. Yeah, no, I mean, b- both of those stories are just like the right at the, right at the cusp right of at the moments cusp. and then just get the rug yanked out from under you. Yeah. That's my life in a nutshell. Rick. <laughs> Good stories either way for the podcast. So we appreciate you sharing them. That's all I got for today, skinny. All right. We'll be back next week with another podcast, another hopefully video podcast. We appreciate you with the change up in formats for us. Uh, certainly please keep tuning in and head to local12.com or your favorite podcast providers. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition presented by our guy, Blake, the attorney Mason.